Well, open up to 2 Timothy again. You might already be there. Before I do anything else, I just want to pray quickly. So, if you could pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for tonight, Lord, and thank you for this school where we can learn about you, God. And I just pray that as I speak now, um, you would give me the words to speak, Lord. And they wouldn't be my words, they'd be your words. And that what I say would be glorifying to you, and it would be um, all about you, and not about me, Lord. And just help me to explain accurately what you've been teaching me. And I just pray that we could all learn something about you tonight. In your name, amen. So I'm just going to start off by reading the passage in 2 Timothy again, just so that we can get it in our minds a little bit more. Um, 2 Timothy 1, 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also." So, I just want you guys to not focus on anything else right now, but just to picture this. Picture that everything you have is completely stripped away. That you no longer have frequent communication with any of your family or any of your close friends. That you're lonely. And that all of your creature creature comforts are gone. You no longer have a comfortable bed or a suitable meal or clean clothes or good shelter. You don't have a cell phone or Facebook or an iPad or an iPod or even television or even a sports network. And you don't even have coffee. (laughs) All it is is just you, just you and God. And my question is, is what would remain. Because I've thought about that before. I've thought about it a couple times. I've just been asking myself, what if everything that I relied on was just all of a sudden gone? And all that I had was God. And after asking that to myself a lot, the answer I came up with was, well, if God is everything to me and everything to us, like we profess then if all those other things were gone, it wouldn't feel like we lost anything at all because we would still have everything. But is it that way and are we being honest with ourselves? And what would actually happen if all those things were stripped away? Where would our relationship with God stand and how much do we rely on other things? Because this was the exact situation that Paul was in when he was writing 2 Timothy. He didn't have a lot. He was in a a really sad situation. 
but his faith still remained. And that's because there's a cost of following Jesus sometimes. And sometimes the cost is really expensive. Um, I'm going to read from Luke 14. So if you want to uh, flip over to Luke 14. And I'm going to start reading in verse 28. Luke 14, 28. And these are the words of Jesus. He says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. Paul knew what it meant for there to be a cost in following Jesus. It's just like that man in in what Jesus was saying, who's going to build a tower. Before he goes and builds the tower, he has to sit down and figure out if he has enough to actually build it. If he just jumps right into building it, he might end up running out of money or not having the funds sufficient enough to build the whole tower. In fact, he might just end up with the foundation and then he can't go any farther. And for all watching, they see that he he didn't count the cost of what it meant to build the tower and he couldn't complete it. It's the same with following Jesus. We need to count the cost because the world rejected Jesus and we're warned in the scriptures that the world is also going to hate us, that there's going to be trials and struggles in following Jesus and also costs in following Jesus. And sometimes the cost is extremely expensive. Paul had to face a big cost in following Jesus. Because we know that Paul was first imprisoned in a, in his, in a home arrest in Rome. And that's when he wrote a number of the epistles that we read in scriptures. But after he was released, he also ended up facing a second imprisonment. And that's when he wrote 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is actually Paul's last letter. After Paul was released, um, there was was the great Roman fire in 64 AD. And the emperor Nero was blamed for that Roman fire. And he he couldn't get the blame off of his shoulders. So he ended up pointing his finger at the Christians. And then a great persecution began on the Christians. Lots of people isolated them, persecuted them, mocked them. And Paul was one of the targets of this persecution. He was imprisoned around 67, 68 AD. And then then his imprisonment was way worse than his first. Because at least he still had some of those comforts. He still had ready communication, but not so with this one. Paul actually writes a lot about his imprisonment in 2 Timothy. 
So these are all verses that are in 2 Timothy, which explains the state that Paul was in. In verse or in one eight, Paul claims that he's a prisoner. In one seventeen, Onesiphorus found him after diligent searching, which means he had to search really hard in order to even find where Paul was imprisoned. In one sixteen, Paul says he was in chains. In two nine, the imprisonment was like that of a criminal's. In four nine, he was almost alone and restricted in his communication. In 4.13, we learn that he was stripped of regular material goods. And also in 4.13, we learn that he's possibly suffering from the cold. Tradition actually says that Paul was imprisoned in the Mamertine prison in Rome. And it's debated, and we can't say it 100%, we're 100% sure, but it's very likely. And even if it wasn't that exact prison, it would have been one extremely similar. It was explained to be a dismal underground dungeon with a hole in the ceiling for light and air. Prisoners would even have to be lowered into the dungeon. And they were originally built to be cisterns, which is kind of like a well. So it would naturally collect a lot of dampness and water. And Paul's only communication with the outside world would have been through a small grate in the ceiling. So it definitely wasn't a comfortable situation at all. And we need to understand that before we even read 2 Timothy. But knowing that, let's take a look at the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. It sounds like like Paul's typical salutation. It sounds pretty typical of how he would start an epistle. But thinking about the situation that Paul was in, it's pretty profound. Paul says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So Paul was called to be an apostle, and that was God's will. But being an apostle is the reason that Paul was actually suffering in that prison, or faced that prison. So it was God's will for Paul to be imprisoned. That's pretty hard to swallow, because we know that Paul that Paul loved God and was serving God, and wouldn't God want the best for him? But the will of God doesn't necessarily always include the most comfortable circumstances. God told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Jesus said in John 15, 18-19, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. It's extremely profound to think of Paul in the midst of, a, of this prison cell, writing of being in the will of God. And he doesn't stop there. He keeps, he keeps on by saying, um, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, the promise of life. We know that the gospel is a promise of life because it promises us eternal life through faith in Jesus and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. But Paul writes this on the brisk of his own death. In um, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verses 6 to 8, we learn that Paul was pretty certain of the outcome. And Paul was was executed shortly after writing 
this letter to Timothy. Yet he writes, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. It's pretty amazing to think of Paul almost done his life here on earth, but so confident in God that he knows he has eternal life afterwards. And I think we can really learn from this verse. We can learn that regardless of what situation we're in, even if the cost of following Jesus is great, we can rest assured that we're in the will of God if we're being obedient. And we can also learn that this life isn't our own. Because Paul was 100% surrendered to God, and that was the situation he found himself in. And God used that. And we need to be willing to just completely let go of our life and give it to God and have the attitude that it doesn't matter what God does with us. And it doesn't matter what... Have the attitude that we need to allow God to do with our life what he wants to because we're promised eternal life afterwards. And then Paul continues on by addressing Timothy. We can also learn a lot about the cost of following Jesus in the second verse with Timothy. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. To Timothy. Timothy is the young man that Paul met on his trip to Lystra in Acts 16. And Paul had a deep discipling relationship with him. As well as being known as his beloved son here, Timothy was also called Paul's fellow worker in Romans 16.21 and the brother and brother in God's servant in 1 Thessalonians 3.2. Timothy was young. We see that in 1 Timothy 4.12. Timothy was likely very ill, and we see that in 1 Timothy 5.23. And Timothy was extremely timid and shy by nature, and we see that in 2 Timothy 1.7. So you have this man that is fairly new, fairly inexperienced, fairly young, afraid, scared, probably sick a little bit, and he's facing so much responsibility because Paul left him as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And for anyone who studied Ephesus or even Ephesians or even reads um, the book of Ephesians, they can learn that Ephesus was facing overwhelming heresy and moral destruction. And it was no easy place to minister. Paul actually wrote 1 Timothy in order to explain the structure of the church that Timothy was called to put in place. And to top it all off, Paul is on the verge of death. And Timothy is the one called to continue on the legacy and the teaching of Paul. So, if we think about what Paul was facing, what the cost of following Jesus for Paul was, imprisoned in a damp, dark dungeon cell, facing death very shortly, and we think about the cost of what the cost of following Jesus was for Timothy, overwhelming responsibility um, when he doesn't even feel prepared for it, likely then we can rest assured that if God had them in his will in those situations, whatever goes on in our life, God's definitely got control. 
And Paul says um, something that I feel would have really helped Timothy as he read this letter. Paul says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I think those are the exact words that Timothy would have needed. A good reminder as he was reading this letter. And I think no matter what goes on in our life, we can all use grace, mercy, and peace. Grace being the undeserved favor that we have and we're saved by grace. Mercy, knowing that God deals compassionately with us. And no matter what situation we're in, God's going to deal compassionately with us. And peace being that inner contentment that comes from knowing where we stand in our salvation. And Paul and Timothy would have, would have needed to rest assured in that peace in the situations they were facing. And then best of all, it says, um, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if we're going to face persecution, if we're going to face responsibility and ministry, then we need to know Christ Jesus is our Lord. It needs to be personal, as Paul meant it in this letter. We need to rely on Jesus, who's going to help us through these situations. And it also shows that Paul believed the deity of Christ, and that was the very message that he was about to die for. So, if we're going to face the cost of following Jesus, how are we going to get through it? And how are we going to go on? I think the last three verses of this section explain that. And I think Paul wrote them to be a huge encouragement to Timothy and what he was about to face. And I think we can equally be encouraged from them. In verse 3, I think we, in verse 3 we learn that we need prayer in order to follow God regardless of what's going to happen. It says, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers, with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. I thank God literally means gratitude I'm having towards God. And verses 3 to 5 are all one sentence. So it's Paul saying he's grateful to God and then explaining why. He's grateful to God because of Timothy and his ministry. And that causes Paul to pray without ceasing um, night and day for Timothy. Constantly Paul prayed for Timothy. And it's not a light statement. It carries an idea of necessity. And I think that we will learn our nece- the necessity of prayer the farther we go into facing circumstances that Paul and Timothy were facing. Because it's easy for people to downplay um, a passage like this and say, well, Paul prayed night and day. I mean, it's just a saying. And, and yes, it could be just a saying and sometimes we exaggerate things as well. But if you're saying, if your automatic response is, well, you can't expect me to pray that much or pray as much as um, the early church fathers did or Paul did, an apostle, you can't really expect that. Life is too busy. But my answer would be, why not? Why don't we pray more? Because Paul and Timothy knew the necessity of prayer. They couldn't do what they were facing without prayer. And why, when something comes up, do we write it down in our prayer book and then forget about it or say we'll pray about it later and then we never end up praying about it? 
Shouldn't our response to anything that comes up be to immediately pray? Prayer as a response and continual prayer. Not just praying about it once and then forgetting about it, but we keep going. And Paul was here imprisoned in this this situation, this tough situation, and he kept praying. He didn't get afraid. He didn't focus on himself and how sour his life was going and what was ahead. Instead, he was so worried about Timothy, he prayed. And if any of us is being honest, especially me, we're not necessarily one to talk about prayer a lot because I know I don't pray as much as I should. But it's passages like these that convince me that I need to. Because as time goes on and as we get older, we're going to realize more and more and more how much this world is going to throw at us. How hard people are going to be to the gospel. How angry people are going to be at us for even mentioning it. And that should really cause a red flag and and make us realize we need prayer. And also, in verse 4, that we need fellowship. It says, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Greatly desiring to see thee. When it comes to the cost of following Jesus, what else is important besides prayer? It's each other. You see, God didn't intend for us to do it on our own. And some of us like to think that God did. We like to be independent and say that we don't need other people's help and that we can face everything on our own. But I think God's response to that is you're not meant to do it on your own. That's the reason God made the church. You know, if, if it wasn't about relying on other people and lifting each other up and encouraging each other, There wouldn't be a purpose for the church because we're all supposed to help each other follow Jesus Christ. Ephesians tells us that the church is the body of Christ and God's temple. And Paul certainly didn't have the attitude that fellowship wasn't important if he missed Timothy that much, if he used the words greatly desiring to see thee. And then we read being mindful of thy tears. Timothy cried. It may sound weird. It may seem weird, especially in our culture. We might respond with, well, that doesn't really make sense, or that seems kind of weird. And yeah, it was a cultural thing then for men to show their emotions more, to cry more openly, more publicly. But the same idea is still in effect today. If we were more ready to cry about losing fellowship, about losing touch with people who were important, if we were more ready and that concerned about our fellow brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, then we would be a lot more encouraged. We know that there's other instances of crying in Scripture. Acts 20.19 says, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. And 2 Corinthians 2.4 says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. It's not just here that we see the importance of valuable fellowship. 
Galatians 6.2 also says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need each other, and we should never have the attitude that we can do it all by ourselves. Well, because first of all, we need to do it with God and for God and through God, but also we need to do it with each other. And that's the only way we're going to be able to face the cost of following Jesus. That's the whole idea of the body of Christ. And then in verse 5, the, uh, the final thing that we need in order to face the cost of following Christ, to face those hard times, is faith. It says, When I call to remembrance the unfined faith that is in me, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Unfine means unhypocritical, and it knows no sham. In order to accurately serve Jesus, we need a faith that isn't fake. Because if you look at the definition of find, not unfind, but find, it's counterfeit. It's in a false appearance, concealed. A find faith would be a faith where on the outside you say, I'm going to follow God, I believe God can do this in my life, but then, on the inside, it's not real, it's not true, it's not sincere. We need an unfined faith, a sincere faith. And faith is that thing that will fully equip the believer to follow Jesus. It carries the idea of const- constancy, a persuasion. It's not just knowing Jesus is Lord, which is essential and very important, But after that, it's to continue to live by faith and know that God has plans for your life no matter what. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Proverbs 23, 17 to 18 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. And interestingly, 1 Timothy 1.5, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, says, The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfined. So, in the first, in the letter, first letter to Timothy in verse 5, Paul says, You need to have a sincere faith. And then, in his second letter in verse 5, Paul thanks God for Timothy's sincere faith. And in the same way, tonight we learn that we need to have a sincere faith. And soon, and hopefully as we're at school, learning about God, learning from God's word, that faith will grow and be completely sincere. It dwelt first in his grandmother and his mother. Many of us come from parents that helped us encounter our faith and learn about our faith. And Timothy would have had to learn it from his grandmother and mother and then make it his own. Because as we know, you don't just get faith through the genes. You have to make it your own. You have to make it sincere to you. And Timothy would have done that. And it's great and amazing when you have parents that teach you about the scriptures, that teach you about faith and help you understand that faith 
but there comes a point when you need to realize that it has to be your response in your heart to God. And my other prayer is that if you're here at MBBI and you haven't made your faith your own and you've just been depending on your parents' faith, that you would make it real in your heart. So we learn in the first two verses that the cost of following Jesus is great. Paul faced persecution, imprisonment. He, was, he didn't have any of the material goods that would make any of us comfortable today, and yet he continued to follow Jesus. Timothy faced great responsibility, overwhelming responsibility that would just be beyond any of us in, in understanding, and yet he still relied on God. But we need those three things in verses 3 to 5 in order to do that. We need prayer. We need each other. And we need faith. And most of our all, as we read in verse 2, we need Jesus Christ, our Lord. We need to constantly rely on our Lord. So my question tonight is what are we scared of? What, why are we afraid to share Jesus with others? Paul wasn't afraid he faced that persecution that, end, that made him in the end become, that made him get executed in the end. But he still shared the gospel. Timothy, although we know was afraid, relied on the Lord and continued on in the ministry even though there was persecution and his mentor, he didn't have full communication with his mentor which he had relied on. So what do we have to be afraid of? Sometimes we're afraid of things that are a lot smaller than that, or sometimes we get overwhelmed with things that are a lot smaller than that. There's people who everything they own is stripped away, and yet we get upset sometimes when everything doesn't go 100% our way. Not that God isn't interested in those little things and those little trials, but at the same time, are they holding you back? Mr. Hogue this morning in church talked about using Facebook as a witness opportunity. Would you be afraid to post on your Facebook status the gospel clear, not watered down? Would you be afraid of how some of your friends would respond? Is there someone that you've been afraid to share the gospel with, that you've been holding back because you're not sure how they would react, or a family member that you know would react negatively if you shared the gospel with them? But what are you afraid of? You have prayer, you have fellowship, you have faith, and you have Jesus, our Lord, to help you. So no matter what the cost is, continue to follow the Lord. And as we continue to learn from Second Timothy, keep in mind what it is God is trying to teach you. This is Paul's, these are Paul's last words, and we greatly value the last words of any celebrity today. We want to know what the last words so-and-so spoke before he died. So why don't we value the last words of Paul and see what God could have us to learn from them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have 2 Timothy to learn from. And thank you so much that you help us through whatever comes our way. Sometimes the cost of following you is great, Lord, and a lot of us haven't even encountered 
a lot yet, Lord, but we know that trials and struggles and issues and responsibility and ministry will come our way, and we just pray that we'll fully rely on you when it happens, that we'll be like Paul and we'll have faith and we'll continue to follow you even in the worst conditions. We'll be like Timothy when the responsibility seems great, when ministry seems overwhelming, we'll rely on you. I just pray that you would raise us up to be um, students of your word, um, brothers and sisters in Christ that aren't afraid to stand up and share the gospel regardless of what the outcome may be. I just pray that you continue to help us grow so much at school here that we would be able to leave and be a strong, strong witness for you. Thank you for tonight and thank you for your word and your name. Amen.